0: Hey everyone, Mike here with another episode of Talking Media Studies. Today, we're going to be discussing cancel culture. You know, this discussion seemed to be uh, particularly interesting to a lot of students, and there were so many great student comments. So I just thought this would be a uh, a great opportunity to kind of check in via the podcast. But before I get to student comments, I want to talk a little bit about free speech kind of more broadly. Because I think it's a—it's uh, one of those things that if you ask people about free speech, they'll sort of, you know, have an opinion about or, or say that they, they understand what it is. But a lot of people, I think, maybe don't uh, or maybe confuse sort of legal free speech with maybe cultural norms around free speech. So let's try to get to that difference here. Okay, so to sort of get at this idea, I'm going to do kind of a thought experiment here, right? I want you to... Take a minute and ask yourself, ask yourself, when has there been the most free speech in you in the United States? When in history, what, what time period, what decade? So yeah, take it, just take a minute and think to yourself, and I want you to actually come up with an answer too. That's kind of how this works. So, um, ask yourself when, what time period, what decade, Etc. cetera, what time period in U S history was there the most free speech? you have an answer? Give you just another second to think about it. All right, so hopefully you've sort of chosen an answer. If you haven't, no worries. Um, So I like this question because it's meant to sort of be provocative, and I think it's going to help us think about or understand kind of an an important historical point here. Um, If I was to answer this question, my answer would be right now actually today like right now we're we're definitely living in or arguably we're living in uh, a time period with the most the most free speech in American history and so much of that has been enabled through and by the internet I and mean, on the internet you can find forms of speech and types of speech that you would have never been would have never been able to find even in the when i was a kid in the 1990s um, type content, ideas, arguments, uh, visual material, so much of culture and speech that is enabled by the internet is much more free um, to the point where that it often enables uh, even types of uh, kind of extremist type content. Yet there's a kind of interesting paradox here, right? That, that many people feel that this thing that we're kind of calling cancel culture in some ways could be limiting people's speech, right? And so... On the one hand, we're living in this time period of sort of like uh, more free speech than ever, yet it also, there's also this sort of backlash to it. So let's let's sort of think about this for a minute here. So, you know, in, if we think back through history, um, you know, it's not easy to figure, it's not too difficult to figure out that so many groups and types of people were genuinely unable to speak their minds publicly for really the majority of our country's history, in particular, uh, minority groups uh as well as women right um people were often punished even thrown in prison for think simple things like criticizing the u.s government maybe this is sort of beyond your 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 knowledge and this isn't often taught in u.s history but a really great example of this is in the 1910s uh a politician named eugene debs he was thrown into jail for publicly opposing world war one Right, his his quote unquote crime was just basically being anti-war, which of course today, it's totally legal to be to be against a war or to speak out against war. It's seen as actually part of our protected fundamental free speech rights. Yet in the 1910s, yeah, he was thrown in jail for years for just opposing the war under the Sedition Act. Um, in fact, in this, you know, from the 1910s into, for example, the 1940s uh, and 1950s. Hundreds of writers, journalists, musicians, and other people were blacklisted in, especially in the 1950s during the Red Scare time period, um, based on their political beliefs and nothing else. And often based on merely someone else's view of their political beliefs saying, oh, this person is this or that. And yeah, they were completely shut out of um, being able to work. You know another example, um, pornography. Probably you've you've heard of pornography. Maybe you've seen pornography read right on the internet. There's there's certainly a lot of it on the internet. Um, pornography was illegal in the United States until about the 1970s, right? Um, and I gave the example in class. Uh, you know this idea of even even in the early 2000s we had stories like you know the Dixie Chicks that were uh, faced a, a, a almost a widespread boycott and country music radio and thousands of radio stations refused to play their music because they had spoken up against the war kind of interesting you can see a little bit of a pattern here one of the common things that people have been uh in the past jailed for or at least censored for has been uh, opposing war right or criticizing the foreign policy of the u.s government which is absolutely protected speech under the u.s constitution um although those those protections were not enforced in the past, certainly. So we've come a long way in terms of enshrining and protecting people's free speech. So yeah, so absolutely. I mean, with the internet, I mean, we we, we, we are truly living amid a kind of, I guess you could even call it a, a kind of almost radical experiment with regard to speech. We have more free speech than ever. We, we, we really do. I mean, it's a, it's a provable claim. Um, you can say or do nearly anything that you want minus some, t- some types of free speech that are not protected, you know, the kind of yelling fire in a theater type of thing. You, you know you can't go online and violent you know, pose uh, state violent threats against named individuals. For example, that could certainly get you arrested. But you know you can't there's certain types of things like uh, child pornography or other types of pretty pretty horrible stuff that some of that stuff is certainly illegal. But you know, having extremist views, conspiracy theories, um, any kind of political view, you know, really, you know, the internet is just full of any type of content or speech that you might be looking for. Now, I mean the internet writ large, you know certainly social media platforms like say Facebook or Twitter, they have certain rules they might enforce. For example, Facebook does not allow pornography. But the internet as a as a system, as a as a communication system is is just really, you know it has created an environment where we are living in the middle of this sort of uh yeah more more types of speech more types of uh free speech than we've ever really we've ever really had as a society and this is not just us this is true across you know many 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 countries around the world that have uh, the same or similar laws and protections around free speech that we have um you know so Um, I see many people, I think, talking about free speech in the context of cancel culture, which is kind of interesting. I think it makes some sense, but I think we need to be really careful here because free speech, really, the term free speech, uh, at least legally, right, refers to the Constitution and constitutionally protected forms of free speech. So cancel culture actually doesn't really have much to do with, at least what people, you know, the word cancel culture can mean lots of things, but what what most people mean when they say cancel culture today are most examples that people are pointing to as example of cancel culture. They don't really have anything to do with constitutionally protected free speech. You know, a company taking away a sponsorship of an athlete, that just has nothing to do with that person's free speech rights, right? That's a a private business agreement that of course any company can change for whatever reason whenever they want or according to whatever contract was drawn up right um so for example if the government was putting people in jail for saying the wrong thing right or saying something that you know uh, they didn't like that would be violating someone's free speech rights that would be kind of government censorship and that does happen there are some countries in the world where governments might um throw somebody in jail for speaking out against the government Um, but we really don't have that here in the us and that that's true for you know many 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 similar countries as well that have uh, roughly similar or the same forms of free speech that we have here in terms of legal protections So yeah, so the government is not involved in cancel culture as you probably have. I mean, Individual politicians might say this or that, but I mean in terms of like the force of the government, you know, the the military or the police or something like that. Um, So yeah, when we talk about cancel culture, what we're really talking talking about are cultural norms around speech, which is truly different than the actual legal idea of free speech, right? Um, So when people are talking about, free speech within in terms of cancer culture, they're really talking about cultural norms or that is general views or beliefs about what should or shouldn't be allowed in terms of speech. Um, so yeah, so you know, if you, if you get canceled, or if someone is facing a cancellation attempt, right, Um, they're generally like being targeted by a mass uh, amount of people on online who are criticizing or calling for someone to lose a sponsorship or lose their job or something typically focused at celebrities, right, or media figures. But again, they're the important difference here is they're not losing their constitutional right to speak. They're just losing their cultural cultural influence, right? Um, And it's a cultural matter, not a legal matter. Even a quote-unquote canceled person can still speak their mind, but people just might not listen, right? The Constitution guarantees the right to free speech, but certainly the Constitution does not guarantee the right to an audience, right? Does that make sense? Um. So yeah, another way to think about this is that cancel culture is just not the same thing as what we would call censorship. Although the word censorship, you know, can be used or is at least often used in cultural contexts as well. So it could be used, but um, I think this difference is important here. So yeah, so, uh, you know, just to finish up, you know, we, there, it's just worth thinking about this kind of interesting paradox where we're living in a time where there's more free speech than ever yet, or perhaps as a result of that, and that's sort of my, my understanding is that cancel culture is in part a reaction to um, just the ability to have sort of any type of speech and have it easily or quickly accessible to anybody. Um, So yeah, so, you know, there's more free speech than ever, yet perhaps, or even as a result, there is more cultural battles over what should be said, what should not be said, et cetera. And of course, there there are other examples of cancel culture that are more about people breaking the law. Certainly the Me Too movement, um, you know, quote unquote, canceled multiple people who, you know, committed crimes or allegedly committed crimes. Things like uh, sexual assault or sexual harassment in the workplace, that sort of thing. All right, so hopefully that distinction makes sense to you. Um, anyways, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, but let's get to your comments. Okay, so Lindsey H. writes, Part of life is making mistakes and learning from them when you, and when you take that aspect away from life, it is detrimental to the whole learning experience that life is. One thing I hate about cancel culture is when people dig things up about something, someone uh, or something that they did years ago and does not reflect who they, who they have become. I know for a fact that I've made mistakes and it is terrifying that someone could dig up pretty much anything about me. See, I thought this was a really thoughtful comment from Lindsay, and I think it—I think it reflects uh, something I saw a bunch of times, or from quite a few students in the comments. And I think a lot of people have this kind of fear, and this—this this for me really connects to this bigger issue with the internet, where you know so much of what, so much of how we live our lives today is recorded and in some ways archived in a semi-public or even very public manner. Especially when you when you're young. I mean, I sort of have this I feel really lucky in a way where you know I grew up with the internet. I, I started using the internet probably when I was nine or ten years old, but it was the early internet. There was no social media. And I used the internet in basically an exclusively or nearly exclusively anonymous manner, right? It was the internet was full of anonymity. There most people were not using the real names. It was chat forums and you know, there was no social media. So you know, for me, yeah, certainly. Oh, wow! I'm so glad that the the comments and the things that I said when I was a a goofy little teenager, you know, when I had some some pretty bad ideas and some pretty wrong ideas and some some you know some arguably inappropriate humor and stuff like that. Uh, I'm really glad that that stuff is is gone because yeah, absolutely. People people do change. They especially from childhood to teenager to adult, right? That's we sort of expect that people, you know. As they get older, they become more mature and they they learn that some of the things they thought were maybe not quite right or maybe were even detrimental. Um, so yeah, I thought this was a comment that, that reflected a lot of people's fear just about you know, and this is not unique to just cancel culture but just about the internet as a whole. Charlotte B writes, "I found these videos and articles really interesting and relevant to today. For example, in the news today with David uh, Dubrick. I think the cancel culture is really complex with good and bad parts. The accountability of holding celebrities in their actions is important. However, a lot of times the facts can get mixed with rumors. I think for cancel culture is hard to separate fact from fiction. However, as many influencers say, if you have the quote unquote receipts or proof of the allegations, then I believe that is important for these celebrities and influencers. Basically anybody can be held accountable in this way. Which brings up a good point that celebrities will usually still be able to be successful and have the money and resources to continue their career. Whereas someone just building their career may have an ended career if they are quote-unquote canceled. Yeah, Charlotte brings up a bunch of really useful and important points here. And, you know, I I will admit I haven't really followed the David Dobrik story super closely. I kind of read about it a little bit. I know he, he kind of did a, a collab or whatever it was called with UNH. Uh, i think last semester kind of interesting i wonder if perhaps uh, that wouldn't have happened given this current context so you can see even there this sort of some of the the impacts um so i can't really speak to that particular that particular example and i encourage you as students to to read about that on your own um but yeah i think you know Charlotte, right here you know there clearly are some some perhaps positive examples of how public figures have been held to account in ways that maybe they weren't held to account in the past, sometimes for some pretty serious things, everything from uh, sort of things like racist statements to more, more literal, you know, things that are actually crimes, like the way they treated employees or that sort of thing. Um, And as Charlotte mentioned, yeah, for the most part, you know, most, most public figures that quote unquote get canceled. That's why I often say, put it in quotes because You know, the word, just because someone gets cancelled, and the word cancelled sounds like the end of the road, but actually for the vast majority of examples, people who get quote-unquote cancelled, they're just getting impacted, right? They're not actually losing their career, you know, uh, of course, maybe the most famous example of this recently has been J.K. Rowling, you know, so you should ask yourself the question, is J.K. Rowling cancelled I mean, people are still buying Harry Potter books. They're still watching her movies. She's still writing new books. She's still publishing new books. She's getting publication deals. She's still, I don't know, probably one of the richest authors on the planet. I mean, you can't really build a case that she's been canceled. I think what she has been is publicly criticized, right? And, and, And perhaps even publicly shamed in some way. But has that really, I mean, it may have affected her. And certainly, I'm sure it has affected her, emotionally right again i I can't i'm not going to speak to the the details of that case i haven't followed the jk rowling uh quote-unquote cancellation too much um but certainly for people who have power and money like jk rowling they don't really just get canceled unless they really commit a crime right um because jk rowling certainly didn't commit any crime she's not going to be quote-unquote really canceled she's not going to you know get put in jail or lose any meaningful freedoms her free speech certainly isn't affected but her cultural influence could be or perhaps is being affected and that's the interesting difference here and charlotte yeah mentioned how you know this can being quote-unquote canceled is probably much more impactful not for the jk rowlings of the world but for people who are just starting out their career because if you don't have money or power if you're just starting out as a public figure in any capacity and you face some kind of cancellation people might just move on to the next best thing. You might just lose your footing and and not be able to restart. So I think that's a really important difference there. Pat H writes, before I saw no difference between cancellation and criticism, but now I realize that criticism is something utterly that we are destined to face, but cancellation is taking one step farther to not only make the person in question, reevaluate their thoughts and beliefs, but potentially destroy them in in, uh, many aspects or all aspects of their life. So yeah, this is a good, a really useful comment from Pat here. Um, I think it's, I think this is, a, it is a helpful way to think about because, I, you know, I do, I think like a lot of people, I do share some of the concerns about the excesses of uh, cancel culture and the way that social media mobs can, can go from legitimate criticism, right? And certainly if you're a public figure and you make statements, that's part of the deal. Like if you get to be a public figure, part of the deal is that you're going to face criticism. That's if you don't want to face public criticism, don't be a public figure. I mean, that, that's not new. That's never, that's how it's always been. Um Certainly one of the differences perhaps with, with cancel culture is the quick shift that many people make to not just um criticizing, but really trying to, uh yeah, really get people to lose their job or to really sort of, muddy someone's entire sort of name based on maybe a single incident, right? Or even something that could be taken out of context at times. Um, So yeah, really a a useful difference. So you know, and I always encourage people to, you know, I certainly I don't, I mean, there are examples of of quote, quote, unquote, cancellations that I think have been important and, and successful, and I think are valuable. But I always encourage people to really think about, you know, are you trying to cancel someone or criticize someone? Are you you know, um, what, and in, in, at what point, you know, many of the examples maybe would be better dealt with just mere criticism. Um, and of course, criticism itself can can have the effect of cancellation, right? So, you know, if someone gets publicly criticized, and that leads to them losing sponsorship, well, you could say they've been canceled. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, again, if you're making public statements about politics, about culture, whatever, some of the different you know, debates that are out there, especially around things like gender or race or class, right? I mean, if you're making statements, you know, you have to understand that comes with the risk of, you know, um, public criticism, right? That's, that is, I think, uh, I think that's definitely legitimate. Uh, Sierra B writes, in my opinion, this has to be one of the most entertaining and intriguing assignments so far. Thanks, Sierra. (laughs) Uh, Cancer culture is so relevant in my life. My social media app of choice is probably TikTok, and through the app, I've seen so many people get canceled. One person that comes to mind is uh, Trisha Payt- uh, Paytas. Again, I don't know if I'm not sh- quite sure about the name, but hopefully, I got it right. Uh, it seems like every other week, people are trying to cancel her. She takes a social media break, then a couple of days, she comes back to making new content online, unfazed. So yeah, this is an interesting example. I mean, I I don't I am on TikTok. I use it a little bit. I enjoy it, but I'm not deep into the world of TikTok. Like, I can't speak to it really much. As a kind of cultural space. But I have heard something like this that there's quite a few kind of quote unquote cancellations. But this example from Sierra is interesting because, you know, as Sierra mentions, yeah, you know, this person, Trisha, is getting quote unquote canceled here or there, um, and then just takes a break and just comes right back and sort of continues the cycle. And you know, what's interesting too is that, and you know, we should be really honest here. Many, many, many people, especially sort of so, your social media influencers. Many of them actually seek out these sorts of types of cancellations because it actually gets them attention. When someone gets quote-unquote canceled, it means their name often trends on Twitter or it trends as a hashtag or it trends in the news. And that's a way to raise your public profile. So there's absolutely people who we could say, and I'm not saying that Trisha does this at all. I'm just sort of using this as a jumping off point. But there are definitely many kind of influencers or or kind of micro-celebrities that kind of use... That say things intentionally that are provocative in order to get attention and maybe even seek these kind of quote-unquote cancellations of course as we see here and in so many cases are they actually canceled No, they just apologize and come back and of course that apology itself also gets attention um you know there's a really funny snl skit that, that about sort of these influencer apologies from a week or two ago that i think is worth watching i forget the title but you can find it on youtube it's quite funny um, but gets this, this idea of sort of the cycle of kind of apology and, and um, how it's not necessarily quite sincere. All right. Uh, Colin B writes, there seems to be two mainstreams of thought regarding the subject. Cancel culture provides power to the people in order to enact justice on powerful perpetrators or cancel culture is a sinister movement that impulsively destroys lives. As history always seems to prove there's truth in both views. However, the mediums of cancel culture, such as social media platforms, do not encourage this kind of a centrist point of view. A factor to consider is that social media encourages people to say whatever they want, uh, when they want to. In person, you may think twice about disrespecting someone that you are debating with, and brief moments of deliberation may enable you to understand their point of view. But the majority of social media engagement is reactive and immediate. Without proper reflection or any effort to collect more information on a topic, People often post the first thing they think of and harshly criticize opposing uh, points of view because there's no possibility for consequences if you are safe behind a digital barrier. Especially, I'll note, I'll tag on here, the sort of anonymity that that often comes with it. Colin continues to say, it is so disheartening to open a Twitter comment section regarding a serious social issue and discover no rational discussion. Yeah, Colin, I, I I thought this was a great comment, a really thoughtful comment. And I have this experience all the time. I, I'm a pretty heavy user of uh, YouTube and, and Twitter and things like that and Facebook. And yeah, it's so often you you see this sort of like big comment thread and now yeah, they're just, you know, you open it up and there are people just sort of taking pot shots and there's often not a lot of um, useful commentary. I find actually then then some of the some of the forums that are a little bit more like the old internet like maybe on Reddit where all users users are anonymous so if you make a comment you're not like getting clout or whatever you're not like really blowing up you're not really adding to your kind of brand because people are anonymous for the most part i find there actually often is better discussion and more more good faith discussion on chat forums like reddit or other online forums rather than social media where when people are when people are taking, making hot takes or taking shots on social media, you always have to think, you know, part of the incentive for many people is to promote themselves rather than promote an idea. So you should always think about when you're seeing this stuff, you should ask, yourself: is this person promoting themselves or are they promoting an idea, right? If they're promoting themselves, yeah, they're going to be much more likely to, to be fight, to kind of uh, be aggressive, cruel, and engage in many of the tropes that uh, Natalie Wynn outlined in her Really really impressive video essay on cancel culture that I, I hope you enjoyed watching. Bella G writes, cancel culture is uh, kind of terrifying to me. The example I reference constantly is Kevin Hart and his comments on the LBTQ uh, plus community over a decade ago. And how he backed out of hosting the Oscars because of the backlash. I think we should obviously hold people accountable, but canceling them for saying something others may not agree with, I think is lazy. How about educating them on what, why what they said is said is wrong and inappropriate? We are so quick to label people, never give them a chance to learn and change. Yeah, this is a, a really great example from Bella, and one that I, you know, I, I'm sympathetic with. You know, I think um, you know, Kevin Hart. You know, again, I, I, I don't know, but uh, you know, he he faced some kind of criticism and then in some form of kind of cancellation, I guess you could say, in regard to yeah, some you know maybe kind of what could be labeled uh, kind of homophobic type jokes from, from a long time ago. And, you know, it is e- it is easy from today's standpoint to look back and then it's like, oh, how could you? These are cruel jokes, you know? And, you know, I share that, that view that the jokes are cruel. Uh, but the truth is that a decade ago, things were quite different, you know? Um, gay marriage wasn't even legal a decade ago. Many... The kind of norms about what is okay, not okay, um, have changed a lot. And I think humor is interesting in this way. A lot of people, you know, I'll speak as someone who grew up, you know, and became an adult during this kind of battle, during this cultural change. You know, it was a big shift for a lot of people. And of course, I, you know, I'm a personally a very big supporter of the rights for, um, you know, uh, gay people to get married and have all the same rights as everyone else. Absolutely. And it was so meaningful to see that happen. But in that process, a lot of people had to, had to confront the fact that they had grown up and some, especially someone like Kevin Hart, who's much older than me, uh, you know, they were grew up at a time when it was much more normal to view people who were gay as sort of outsiders or as even pathological. And that's not unique to him. That's something that was, that was, that was part of our ideological culture that affected everybody, right? you know it affected me too in some ways and you know wow i think really um you know again i i haven't seen the exact comments he used but i think be, given that, given that they were a long time ago and importantly given that he expressed contrition and that he has apologized for those views i think we really do as a culture we need to have a way to accept people's apologies especially for for, for stuff from a long maybe if it was a year or two ago it would be i think that would be different But yeah, you know, more than a decade ago, things, things were, were different. And, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's useful, I think, and, and, and kind and helpful to, to have a a way for people to, to be contrived and to, to improve, you know, and in punishing people after the fact, you know, way, way after the fact, I don't know if that's, that's really encourages personal growth, you know, again, has Kevin Hart been canceled? No, of course not. Kevin Hart is. I think one of the highest paid comedians in the country, maybe the most highest paid comedian, he's still selling out concerts. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm sure it was a bummer to not be able to host the Oscars, but we also need to keep this in perspective. He didn't get canceled. He's still an incredibly popular comedian. He'll still make movies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all right, Nathan G writes, I disagree with cancel culture as a whole. It seems like everything is getting canceled every single day. One week, Dr. Seuss books are uh, stopped being stopped being pr- published. Another week, Mr. Potato Head changed his name to Potato Head. Um, when when's enough enough? Uh, there's no there's no freedom of speech anymore whatsoever, and it gets really annoying when every other week there's something new. Yeah, these are some interesting examples. Uh, really really thoughtful and, and useful comments here from Nathan. Um, you know, this kind of gets back to what I started out with with the difference between you know Nathan is writing here that. You know, he feels like there's no freedom of speech anymore, which is so interesting given this kind of paradox that, you know, uh, in terms of sort of like objective view, there's there's more freedom of speech than ever right now with the internet. In part because of that, we have this more, these more kind of cultural battles around the norms of what should be or shouldn't be allowed, right? You know, the Dr. Seuss examples is a really interesting one. Um, You know, there was not, to my knowledge, like there were not, there was no public campaign to... Uh, quote unquote cancel Dr. Seuss, right? As much as I've read into the example, um, the estate, the the corporation that owns the intellectual property of Dr. Seuss, right, the popular children's book author, they basically proactively decided to stop publishing six of his many, many books, right? So first of all, Dr. Seuss has definitely not been canceled. You can buy all of his popular books still. In fact, you can even still buy the books that I've that that have been stopped being produced. They just, they're, they're just not publishing new versions of, they're not like banned, right? This is not, you know, uh, a government taking away children's books or something like that. Um, Yeah. The, the, the Seuss estate basically looked at these six books and decided that the content they have just doesn't reflect what they want to put out into the world. And the truth is, you know, Nathan saying, it feels like it's happening every week, you know, and I think part of that is just the way that we hear about every news story, but, this stuff happens all the time. Like this has been happening for decades and decades and decades. Like companies, estates of authors, you know, they make changes, they make changes to what they put out, what they don't put out, in accordance with cultural change. That's that's been true for a very, very long time, right? You know, it's interesting. I, I looked at these books, um, the examples. You know, the truth is two at least two of these books are pretty awful, actually. One of the one of the Dr. Seuss books has a genuinely horrifically racist depiction of of African Americans, that's part of this l- much longer legacy of racist depictions of African Americans in media. And we're going to talk a lot about this in an upcoming, we have a whole unit devoted to race and media. So, yeah, I, you know, in my view, honestly, Dr. Seuss's estate was totally, I mean, of course, they're also, you know, they get to do whatever they want. It's their intellectual property. And they just decided that they'd rather promote the books that are not, that do not have more kind of particularly uh, offensive uh, uh, de- uh, depictions. Right. Um, and you know, the, you know, as for all six of the books, yeah. You know, some of the other books, you know, there's, there's some, some good debate that you could make that Maybe they, they didn't need to be stopped published, but again, you know, the truth is that that's just up to the, it's a private company. They can do whatever they want. It's their IP companies make these kind of decisions all the time. There's definitely not a cancellation happening. There was no public campaign to kind of censor or ban, uh, Dr. Seuss books. You know, as for the potato head, honestly, I don't know. I I didn't look into that story. It's, actually, it sounds kind of funny to me. Um, but yeah, you should you should read about it. I don't know, Mr. Potato Head's now just Potato Head, I guess. Um, I didn't know potatoes had genders, anyways. But uh, I actually I think I could be totally wrong, so you should definitely look at this yourself. Don't take my word for it. But I, if I'm vaguely right, I think they actually I heard something that they just created a new like gender-free potato head. I don't know. I don't have kids. I'm not going to get into the 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 world of potato or whatever. But anyway, anyways. But yeah, you know, I think you know Nathan brings up a great point here that it you know the the way that with the internet we we see uh, especially now there's a sensitivity around examples of cancel culture, right? It's like every little change that might get made can, can you know gets reported and kind of can feel like it's this sort of huge radical transformation. And you know to to be you know, there are some real important changes happening. There are some cultural shifts happening around things like gender and race that absolutely are having companies rethink certain products, that sort of thing. So, yeah, you know, there's very legitimate questions here and issues to engage with. Um, But, yeah, you know, I share that sympathy that it it can feel like, you know, when is this going to stop sort of feeling, right? Um, uh, James J. writes... I believe that cancel culture isn't the best response to a lot of things, but it does and can serve its purpose. In today's society, I believe cancel culture is a bit overused, and it can be seen as something you use to get rid of those who don't support the same opinion of you. Where it comes to cancel culture and regarding those including people like Bill Cosby, Kevin Spacey, R. Kelly, and a lot of other big celebrities, it makes sense to make sure that these people can't remain in the public eye because we all know, we all know the bad and messed up things they've done in the past. I feel as if these examples in a lot of similar cases are appropriate for reasons for one to be canceled, but there have been lots of instances where individuals or groups can be canceled for having their own opinions. Yeah, this is a really thoughtful and kind of balanced question from James here. You know, and these examples, James brings up of Bill Cosby, Kevin Spacey, and R. Kelly. These are certainly some examples of people who, you know, without cancel culture, they may have never faced judgment. And the stuff that, you know, Bill, Bill Cosby is in prison, he's probably, he's probably, there's a good chance he's going to die in prison. Right. And some of those part of why he ended up getting prosecuted is, was that there was public pressure about these cases with regard to rape. Um, you know, Kevin Spacey and R. Kelly, similarly, Kevin Spacey, you know, the stuff that he was accused of happened so long ago that it's beyond the statute of limitations, but it doesn't make them right. I mean, you know, he's, he's accused of believe of sexual assault and rape as well, you know, when he was a younger actor, but you know, over, some of his, uh, colleagues and, you know, yeah, I mean, there's many, many examples where cancel culture has been used to, to right wrongs that, that either weren't being addressed, uh, or people, people were talking about them, but they weren't getting enough national attention. Certainly the me too movement, uh, provided a real big vehicle to bring down some pretty notoriously bad actors, people, you know, literal bad actors and you know, people who had, it was public knowledge amongst Hollywood or amongst the media industry that they had a reputation for harassment, abuse, you know, you know, toxic workplaces. And um, yeah, you know, certainly cancer culture has righted some wrongs, but, you know, at the same time, this kind of trial by mob can be real dangerous. There have, there are many cases as well of people who, yeah, this do, do seem have been unfairly punished, lost their job, for examples, that don't really seem to be definitely aren't breaking any law and don't even really seem to be, you know, necessarily that that impactful or even damaging. Right. Um, So much, you know, and the ability to to harm someone based on rumor right alone can can, you know, we, it's part of why you know, legally speaking, we guarantee people a, a fair trial because we want to make sure that that they have a chance to contest grievances and that sort of thing. Um, Blake M writes, I like the idea of it and I like the idea of it in the aspect that if used correctly and legitimately, it can actually call out famous people or people with high power who maybe may have done bad things in their past that may have been overlooked just because of their status and because they're famous. If these types of people have Done really wrong things either morally or legally, they should be called out and get in trouble for it. They shouldn't get a pass just because of their status. On the other hand, I do think that people can change for the better and not be the same person who they were when they were doing something bad. Yeah, again, an- another really thoughtful uh, comment from Blake here, and um, just you know sums up I think what so many of you are writing that or you know yeah that that cancel culture has some value, it can be used legitimately, but using it to you know punish people or, you know, not allow, make it so that people aren't even able to, you know, change for the better. And, um, that it's so important that we recognize that with, with exceptions of things that are crimes in particular, um, you know, trying to punish people decades later for kind of incorrect thoughts or incorrect opinions, you know, I mean, that, that, that may not really be the, the it may not be fair, it may not be just, and it also may not be useful or helpful in terms of getting people to, you know, um, attacking people, you know, and trying to cancel them, it, it, you know, often encourages people to get defensive rather than to open up to a process of self-criticism, a process of self, of personal growth, of self-transformation. Um, so yeah, really, really thoughtful here. Uh, Angela, uh, L writes, I think the big issue here is how far is too far? Where's the boundary when people should step in and when should people stay back? Does the justice actually being established? uh, Does the justice actually being established when people get canceled? Uh, I think, yeah. Is there justice actually being established when people get canceled? So yeah, really thoughtful. And and sort of what I'll use as a concluding thought here from Angela that's yeah, it's something for all of us to think about. You know, how far is too far? Clearly, there's this new, relatively powerful tool that people collectively have, and I think it's on all of us to think about. You know, when how far is too far? When when you know are 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 people are we? Uh, what examples is is someone kind of being unfairly attacked here? You know, I'll I'll just give a little bit of my own view here, just as, as all of you did. You know, I. For me, I, I try to draw a really big distinction between public figures and average people. Generally speaking, with the exception of literal crimes, I really don't like the idea of kind of cancellation mobs going after individual people, you know. And, you know, there are many examples. You know, There's the famous example of um, the white woman in uh, Central Park in New York City who called the cops on... A black man who was birdwatching, and you know, she straight up lied to the police. She called that one and lied to them. She said, This black man is attacking me, and she was trying to get him thrown in prison. That's horrible. You know, she clearly needs needed to face some kind of repercussion. And part of why that story blew up is that, yeah, I mean, truth is, it seems like that's a pretty common pattern that many white people have leveraged their cultural power and status to to use that to bring law enforcement to bear down on black people and and you know clearly that's something that should not happen that's uh, incredibly awful and you know um really put that man's life in danger yet even he even the victim even he said you know he didn't want this woman to have her life completely destroyed you know he didn't want her to kind of lose her job you know he thought that the attention itself was enough um so yeah, you know, I think that's a good, for me, a good distinction is that, you know, with exception of crimes, you know, it's it's not helpful to try to get, you know, anonymous average people fired, but, you know, for public figures, you know, it's hard to say, I guess each case is different. You know, again, I, for me, I like to think of this more of call in, calling in to educate people rather than kind of calling out to fire people. Maybe that's a useful way to think about it. So um, criticism is useful but attacking you know, all these tropes, you know, trying to get people to lose their jobs and stuff, maybe not so much. All right, I'll leave it there. Uh, I enjoyed all these comments and um, thanks again for all your hard work. Take care. I forgot to mention, I just wanted to bring up one last point because I think it's really important here for our class you know we you've learned about taking a political economic perspective when it comes to studying the media and one thing that i didn't really see any students mention was what how the economic structure of social media is related to cancel culture and this is in some ways one of if not the perhaps biggest issue for me really is that every cancellation right generates profit for social media companies every viral you know moment you know social media platforms are designed to promote constant engagement and so you know and it, it's designed for users to self-promote and try to build their quote-unquote quote unquote, clout you know so it's it's impossible to talk about uh cancel culture without talking about the financial and economic structure of for-profit social media platforms and all of our major social media platforms are corporations. They're for, they're profit-generating corporations. And, you know, they don't care, really. They don't care about cancel culture. They don't care about creating a civil discourse. They don't care about uh, helping people. They don't care about promoting thoughtful dialogue. They care about making money exclusively. As publicly traded companies, they're legally obligated to make a profit. And so, yeah, they design their platforms to incentivize and to promote the most you know, the most controversial, the most, you know, this is why, you know, some of these stories end up popping up in your feeds, you know, and some of these viral trends. And yeah, you know, it's, it's just really worth thinking about how, you know, it's not just about individual action here. It's not just about, you know, our individuals just causing cancer culture, but that there's this huge, massive, incredibly wealthy apparatus behind, cancel culture that is incentivizing and promoting it right every cancellation is a profit making moment right every viral content every every public battle you know it's so interesting whenever there's a a, another example of kind of cancel culture you notice i see on twitter right like the same kind of people the same liberals the same conservatives the same kind of talking heads the same kind of self-promoters the same kind of Uh, social media influencers, they all jump in with their opinion. And, you know, do they really care? Honestly, I'm not sure they do. I think maybe they care a little bit. I think for the most part, they see an opportunity to self-promote, to get more followers, to get their comments out there, to promote, you know, their, their brand. And, yeah, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. You know, we don't really have this exactly, but, you know, what would a nonprofit social media platform look like? You know, and I can't answer that question in the short time that I'm speaking here, but, you know, I think it's interesting. What would happen, for example, if social media platforms were built to promote ideas rather than to promote individual users and brands of individual users, right? Um, In that case, you know, maybe there wouldn't be, I'm pretty sure there wouldn't be nearly the kind of constant engagement that drives forms of cancer culture, the pylons, the Attacks of guilt by association, all these things, all the tropes that were mentioned. Um, so, yeah, so it's just, it's just some interesting thoughts. Maybe sometime in the future, you know, you know, we do have nonprofit media for this reason. Similar reasons, right? Nonprofit media tends to be much more objective and tends to be much less, uh, tends to promote much less um, infotainment or, or kind of dramatic stories yeah uh, because it's not focused on making a profit right so it's not that different really with social media um a little bit of the difference is that it's a little bit more people driven but certainly the role of generating money and profits is such a big yeah such a big driver of cancel culture anyways just a thought i'll leave you with all right actually done this time uh take care